right, this morning's passage is Proverbs 8. This is our fourth uh, sermon where we're looking at this book of Proverbs and we're studying the concept of wisdom. Uh, each week it goes up a little bit in intensity. I think chapter one was just our intro. Then we saw uh, in chapter three how wisdom comes from the heart. Last week we discussed how our job is therefore to keep the heart. Uh, and this week we're going to see that wisdom is actually personified in our passage. Um, it's, it's kind of um, crescendoing here. And I do want you to know that there's going to be five points to this sermon. So it's like, have you, you ever go to the fireworks and like at the very end is like the grand finale? This is the grand finale, only you're not going to be like going, woo, and ah, you're going to be like looking at your watch. Going, okay, grand finale. But there's a lot coming at us this morning. Uh, really to just leave, uh, as I go out of town, I want to just leave it all out there and then I'm going to take a break. And Shana gets to pick up the pieces. Um, so wisdom, are you interested in wisdom? Uh, if you have your, you're going to want a Bible. So uh, there's little paper Bibles under your chairs. Since this is one service, the virus will be dead by next week. You can hold it and look at it. Uh, or your device. Dan has made slides and they'll be up there, but they will only be up there while I'm reading and then they're going to go away, like Snapchat. So if you, is that right? Is that right? I don't know. That's what I've been told. Okay, let's just start looking. I'm going to skip around a little bit. I want to, the first uh, 10 verses I'm going to just barely touch on, but then in 12 to 31, we'll read closer. And you'll notice, again, the change of pronoun that wisdom is now being poetically described as a person. So chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things from my lips, will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness, wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasures. Okay, in the middle sometimes of a workout, you got to take a breath. Catch your breath, and we're going to finish strong here. In verses 22 to 31, there's a bit of a shift and we see wisdom now describing how long she's been with us. So starting in 2022, 20, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. 
the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God of wisdom. You are a God who delights in wisdom and you offer your wisdom to your children. And Lord, we long to be people who hunger and thirst for it who seek it out more than choice silver or gold. So I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you would help us to better understand what that process might look like, to believe that we can actually move toward what wisdom is described here. In your name we pray, amen. This chapter eight um, personifies wisdom, as you've just noticed, One of the commentaries I looked at talks about how it's a contrast to chapter 7. If you had read chapter 7, you would find warnings to young men of adulterers. And and watch out for this, and it's sort of a personified woman. Watch out for this unchaste woman, this adulterer who's going to come to you in secret. And really what you find in chapter 7 is a personification of evil, this idea of secrecy. It's going to, this evil woman's going to come out and, and seduce you and get you in, in secret places and, and it's, she's going to grab your heart secretly. But then chapter 8 is sort of in the light. Like wisdom, also described as a woman, is calling out from the tops of the hills along the way, from the crossroads, from the gates. You see this contrast. I think we, we all can agree that advertisers are really good at knowing the human condition. And one of the most popular advertisements, I think I can start the, I'll start the slogan and you can finish it. Ready? What happens in Vegas, everyone knows that. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. They're brilliant. We all know Las Vegas is a place where you go to do a lot of things. And, and what, they, what the city realizes, if we can explain to people, here's a place where you can come and sow your wild oats and do whatever you want and then go back to your normal life. But it's not true, is it? If you go to Vegas and you do the things that you shouldn't do and you're sort of not proud of, when you go home, you've got to be fragmented. You've got to sort of lie not only to other people but to yourself. It's, it's a lie of evil. And what we find is wisdom says you don't have to live like that. You get to live fully engaged, fully oriented, fully known, and fully loved. Right? So God wants to offer us real wisdom that frees us from a divided soul. Evil is coming in trying to divide us and fragment us. Wisdom is coming in saying you can live whole and complete and fully known and and there wisdom will find you. Okay, 
So we're just going to go quickly through five points. Number one, the value of wisdom. We're trying to figure out who is this personified wisdom, and we're going to begin by looking at her value. Verse 10, if I were to just ask you from your memory, where does this passage talk about value? You might say, well, at one point, silver and gold, right? Do you remember that in this reading of the scripture? Like she's better than silver, better than gold. But when you really look at it, listen to what it says. Verse 10, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than gold. So whatever she is, wisdom, which we're trying to uncover in this sermon, she's not just silver. She doesn't just lead you to wealth. Silver and gold are obviously symbols of wealth and security. Great things, we want these things. But wisdom, whatever she is, is sort of underneath. It's, she's better than. She's what you're after when you want those things. So I guess my question is, what do you really want? I think I've told this story a lot of times. Um, it's one of my, you're not supposed to brag on yourself as a, as a preacher, but I was really proud of this one moment, so I'm going to break the rule. We were doing this stump the chump at RUF, ask any question you want, very scary, hard questions. The pastor's daughter says, I actually need to leave right now. But as I'm leaving, can I ask you this one question? And then she's like, got to go to its finals time. And she says, will there be sex in heaven? All I know is this. Ryan, you've got like two minutes about sex. Whatever it is that it represents to you, heaven will be better. Right? I'm not, I don't know physically that that's going to happen. But you're not going to go to heaven and go, this is amazing. Where are the M&Ms? Like, you know, I, I, I distinctly remember Twinkies. Like, you're not going to miss things. There's something infinitely value in wisdom that we don't know how it's going to apply to our personal life, but it's so great. My hope is we can all lean in a little bit. She's valuable, okay? Valuable. That's point one. Point two, her content. She has something, there's something about her content that's so important. She's a valuable commodity for a reason. She has these two things, righteousness and truth. In verse five, She's begun speaking, you know, oh man, I call to you. In verse four, she says, and I, my cries to the children of man. But in five, she says, oh, simple ones, learn prudence. Oh, fools, learn sense. What is she saying? With me, there's transformation. I can take someone that the world would look at as a foolish person and transform them into someone that looks like they have wisdom. Why? Verse seven, my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Now, had I preached this sermon six months ago, a year ago, we all would have said, that sounds really nice, Pastor. Wisdom and truth and righteousness. But think about it, right? Right now, we're, we're starving for truth, aren't we? Medical community, please tell us truth. Politicians, please give us right thinking, like we're longing for internet feeds to not be full of lies and falsehoods and diatribes. We're longing and hungering for truth. And wisdom says, I have truth and righteousness. That's my value. I think the best word I would throw out there for you guys is I have, wisdom would say, shalom. The way it's supposed to be. The way things are meant to be, shalom. That is what wisdom offers us. Here's how the world should operate, right? It's interesting when you turn to Jesus' very first sermon, he starts with these beatitudes in Matthew 5. 
And, and really the, the high point, there's kind of a crescendo to the very middle beatitude. You all remember, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for money. No, righteousness. Right? So here's Jesus saying, I'm going to start my whole ministry. I fasted for a ton of days, you know, 40 days, and I've selected my guys, and I'm ready to preach righteousness. But he starts with saying, blessed are poor, and those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. And blessed are the meek. These are the dispositions that lead to righteousness, which is exactly what we see here. Simple, blessed are you simple ones. Now, if we read this and go, oh, unfortunately, that's not me. I'm not simple. Then we have a problem. But you read this and say, ah, that's me. Left to my own devices, I am ignorant. I am foolish. I am sinful. I need wisdom. And that's the foundation of where Jesus wants to work. And he brings his righteousness to that kind of mindset. So we have value. We have content, which is righteousness. Okay, we're getting into the, this is the fireworks. I warned you. You don't get the ooh and ah because the next one's coming. Usability. She's valuable, wisdom. She has, her content is amazing, and now we have usability, okay? She's usable. What does that mean? Uh, let's look at the beginning. On the heights beside the ways, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, was the gate. If you read the Old Testament, you know anything about the ancient cultures, the gate, that's where not just people gather to visit and get to know each other, but that's where justice happened. That's where, right, that's where like the, the rules were made. That's where government started, right? On the next page, she says, by me, kings rule and reign and princes rule and govern justly. What is she saying? She's saying, I'm not just valuable with good content, but I'm highly usable. You can actually take wisdom and use wisdom in your life. There's a man named Abraham Kuyper. Um, he was a, the, the prime minister of the Netherlands, uh, was a theologian, uh, reformed, and in 1900 came to America to deliver the Stone Lecture Series at Princeton, back when Princeton was still a really great seminary. Not to bash it, it's kind of changed a little bit. Um, and he delivers these lectures on Calvinism, and they're very famous because what he does is he delivers six lectures. The first one's on Calvinism in general, but then he takes the doctrines and the theology of John Calvin and applies it to politics, science, the arts, and the future. So what he's saying is this, orthodoxy, wisdom, truth, isn't just something for occasional conversations. It isn't something for just Sunday morning sermons. It applies to every area of your life. If we go to truth, if we go to wisdom, in other words, we will find realities for every area of our life. So my question is this, are we bringing every area of our life to the Lord, saying, Lord, I need help in this area? Or do we sort of do the Las Vegas thing? We hold certain things back. This is my area. You get my quiet times. You have my marriage. You know, you have a few things but you don't have this, right? Or maybe said another way, are there things you think you can do better? I mean, God's great, but I'm an artist. I can do my own art, right? God's the one that creates the whole world, right? From nothing. C.S. Lewis says famously, uh, and he's talking about holiness, 
And his point is, and I believe this is the last page of mere Christianity, that you don't gain holiness by looking at holiness. You gain it by looking at the Lord. And then he gives the example of the artist, right? The artist who's trying to be original. Emily and I were art majors. I, I can't even describe to you without losing my job the kinds of paintings that these people were making, trying to be original. You literally would only me quit my job if I told you about one particular one. But these people were trying to be original, and what Lewis says is, no, don't try to be original. Try to tell the truth. Try to paint the truth. You know, like Monet's haystacks. Like He, he did like a, however many haystacks, because each one represented the light from a different angle, and he wanted to catch it at different times of the day. He's telling the truth. Poets are telling the truth. Great novels are getting at truth. And he says, in nine times out of ten, that artist will become original simply by being righteous and telling the truth. God's world is glorious. So wisdom comes into your life and says, quit trying to be original. Trust me, I'll make you glorious in every arena, your finances, your politics. But it takes humility, right? It takes humility to say, Lord, I want you to come in and bring wisdom into these areas. All right, we're moving along. 17 minutes in, two points left. I told Emily this morning, I feel like the kid the last day of school. Like, I'm going to finish the sermon and run out to the vacation. No, I'm not serious. I've just never done a five-point sermon, so I'm nervous. Okay, recap. Value of wisdom. We want to learn who she is. Value. Her content is going to be glorious. Her usability, every area of life. Ready for the fourth thing? Um, her origin. Why? Why does she get this kind of space in language? And that brings us to our like last section, verses 22 to 31. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. Over and over, what she's saying is, like, I was there. You like mountains? That's me. I helped do that. You like oceans? I designed the ocean. I made beaches. You know that place where the water meets the sand? I did that. I was there. Recently, Bonnie and I were together, and uh, I tried to find a movie that I would like, that she would like. That's very hard. She's nine. And this one, she sort of liked it, sort of didn't. Undercover Granddads. Remember that? Undercover Granddads. Okay. It's like a four on IMDb. Um, maybe a 5.1. It's a story of James Conn, the granddad, who was, has a, a secret life of being a spy or something. And the grandson, his girlfriend goes missing. So it's a very frightful movie. I looked it up on Common Sense Media. It was for her age group. It was very Disney-esque. In other words, she was, this girl was kidnapped, but the, the crooks weren't as bad as they could have been, and you weren't that worried for her, you know, that kind of thing. And you knew where she was. And you knew she would live. But the granddad ends up being useful, right? And they thought he was like crazy. Like the story was he's crazy, he's senile, he's got all these fake stories he makes up. But it turns out he really was awesome. And part of the story is he gathers all of his old team. I forget what they call the team. And there are these old men that the world would just go, you're useless to us. They solve the crime. It's beautiful. But there's one scene where the young grandson's best friend, who's like Mr. Techno guy, 
he goes and meets the old man who's in charge of the technology. You know, everybody, it's like the A-team. Everybody's got their specialty. And he walks into a room just full of ancient computer. And the guy's like, this is really like the point? Like this is going to help us? Well, it turns out that's the computer system that the enemy knew. And this is, you had to know this computer system to save the girl. Okay, this is a really bad illustration. But here's the point. Old things are beautiful. And if I want to solve something that's ancient, I need to know how the ancient works. And our, our culture lives by novelty and by newness. Like there was actually a decided point where a car manufacturer said, every year we'll change something and call it the new model. And that picked up. And the car manufacturers who didn't do that lost tons of market share. And that spilled over into Nike shoes, you know, all the shoes every year, the, the, the watch, the phone. We live in a world that says, oh, do you have the latest and the greatest? And yet, what we know for sure is what? Old wine, aged wine, aged cheese, longer marriages, you know, the wife of your youth. Like, what is the Bible trying to teach you? You don't want something brand new. We really want the old. We want to know what was there in the beginning. And so wisdom, whoever she is, is saying, come to me. I'm not only valuable, I have the right content, I'm highly usable, but I was there when everything was created. I even helped in the creation. You need me. Okay, so now we have to ask the identity. Does anyone want to do guest number five? What's the identity of wisdom? So a lot of debate about chapter eight. The debates are, are numerous. Is this a real person? Is it just poetic device? Is the writer trying to just draw us in? And of course, those are all legitimate possibilities. But, but I think Shane just got it right. Jesus. My favorite story of children. Have you heard the children that the Sunday school teacher describing a squirrel and said, everyone, I'm describing this thing. What is it? And this kid's like, I want to say squirrel, but I'm going to go with Jesus. <laughs> it was a squirrel. Anyway, here, Shane is correct. It's Jesus. Let's talk about that. A lot of scholars are going to go, oh, don't just immediately assume everything in the Old Testament is Jesus. But why don't we track it for a moment? In Luke chapter 2, Jesus at the age of 12, remember he went missing. Family had to go find him. Where did they find him? In the temple, in the temple with the wisest teachers doing what? Teaching them. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding. In Luke 11, Jesus says this, chapter 11, verse 31 of Luke, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Pause. The queen of the south is who? The queen of Sheba, who came to visit Solomon. Solomon wrote Proverbs. Uh, he was, he, when, when God asked him what he wanted, he requested wisdom. And he was so wise that even the queen of Sheba came and was in awe and, and left gifts. And so here's Jesus in the New Testament referring to her. And he continues, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Boom, Jesus. Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. What does Jesus do with the two disciples who are in consternation over the story that he had resurrected, that someone had steal his body. They couldn't quite figure it out. He overhears them and he explains to them all from the Old Testament concerning himself. It points to him, right? 
But then Paul really picks it up in Colossians with this clear passage. We're actually going to close our sermon when you have a confession of faith. This is the one we're going to read today. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul, even before he was a Christian, knew more about the Old Testament than any scholar you can find. But now he's not only a believer filled with the Spirit, he's been made an apostle. And he's writing Colossians 1, clearly aware of Proverbs 8. He is saying Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus created all things. And he goes on to say, he was before all things. They were made through him. But listen to this last little phrase he puts. And in him, all things hold together. Wisdom. What are your problems? What are your stresses? What are you trying to solve? What are you after? Is Jesus whom you're going to? Or are you buying a pile of books and and Googling? Find things to do. But Jesus has to be the one you're using. Jesus has to be the one you're running to. Is Jesus your source of wisdom? John 1, anyone think of that one, by the way? Like, that's the easy one, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He made all things. What we find is the New Testament is very clear. When we read Proverbs 8, this personification of wisdom is not just something you go do. You don't go at it, but it's a person. It's Jesus. And we go to him and run to him. What are you after? Um, Dan is going to put up some scripture from 1 Corinthians for me, and I just want you to hear some words from Paul to really highlight these points from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Paul says this. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That last sentence, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, means that God's foolish means of rescue, Jesus, which to the world looks crazy in their wisdom, Paul is saying, but that is much wiser than them. Why? Because the problem is so much greater of the fall, of the brokenness, of the problem. And if you don't have a Savior who came down, who comes into your reality and takes on all of your brokenness and goes to the cross, then you don't have wisdom and you can't know wisdom. And that's not just at the point of conversion, but that becomes a process of how we walk through this life. 
Elsewhere in Colossians, he says this, in, talking about Christ Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What is Paul doing over and over? He's saying this, Jesus is wisdom. So my question is this, are we going to Las Vegas alone, secretly, with our daily lives? Or are we living in partnership with the Lord, with Jesus? What does that look like? How do you, how do, you do it? Um, I just want to end, I want to conclude with a, with a parable that Jesus tells three, one time, but it appears in three of the Gospels. I'm going to just kind of look at the Mark version and, and paraphrase it for you. And I've done this before, but it's very eye-opening. It's the parable of the sower. A crowd is gathered in with Jesus and he explains wisdom. I mean, this is wisdom standing before them, giving them how the world works. And he explains the different soil. Remember the, the different kinds of soils and the seed? I'm not even going to go into all that. Here's the point. At the end of that parable, the crowds leave. But a few, the disciples, they kind of hang out. They're with Jesus. They're not going to go anywhere. And they lean in. And it says, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12, so there's a group, they basically said, what does it mean? Like, how do these parables work? And he says this question, do you not understand the parable? Now, do you know what he said before that? There are people who will never understand these parables and they're perishing. That's kind of scary, isn't it? When you hear that, that Jesus would teach in these parables and these perishing people won't understand them. What do you do? Do you say, oh, <laughs> well, I get it. Thankfully, I get the parable. Jesus, I'm not one of the perishing ones. That's what I would be tempted to do. What do they do? They lean in and say, we don't get it either. And he says, you don't understand it either? What's the point? There's no secret to salvation. There's no secret sauce, some key. The secret is, if there is one, is this. You need Jesus. They needed Jesus to explain the parable. All those people could have hung out and said, please explain that parable. I don't get that. But they left. That was cute. That was a whimsical story about sowing and seeds. I'll go tell my friends. But the few that didn't get it stayed and said, I don't understand. Humility. Humility. And they lean in. He says, you don't understand the parable. And then what does he do? The sower sows the word. And he begins to explain the parable. You need Jesus in everything you do. Every problem you have. Every area of your life. Jesus is the only rescue. Not the science. Not the retirement account. Not the drug. The website. The next shopping spree. The whatever. The, all the things we think will help us are useless. Jesus. Run to him. Go to him. He is your source of wisdom because he is wisdom. And you're not trying to go to him so you're wise. You're going to him so that he's wise through you. Does that make sense? Run to him. Let's pray.